The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker in New York. I'm here with my friend, my great friend, Tom Astor, who is pretty much live from Blighty in Oxford. How are you, Tom? Very well, thanks. Cold. It's got cold here suddenly. We are, we are now in autumn. Oh, wow. Indian summer is over. Indian summer is very much over. We know that, yeah, there's not a sign of that. The rain's come in and the fires are lit and we're off. Okay, guys, so listen, we've been talking about having playing a game on Shaken and Stirred where you, the listener, um, it's a drinking game, have to sort of find a word which we might, might or might not disclose. And every time we say it, you've got to drink. And uh, it was sort of an internal joke for a long time. Um, and I've been drinking every time Tom says Indian summer, which is quite regularly for some odd reason. He likes to say it every single episode. But I'm very glad that that is now over. And uh, we're going to be introducing a new one. So look out for that in my posts on social media, what the word of the week will be. And um, look forward to having a few drinks. Because you remind me of an Indian summer night. Well, thank you very much. You do realize it's Native American when we say the word Indian, not actually Sri Lankan. It's It's incredibly on PC of you. You know that, Tom. You know, at this point, I feel like I'm being culturally appropriated. Oh, really? Gosh. And you've never done a ginger joke before, no? No, gosh. (laughs) Let's not talk about ginger jokes before our our next guest, please. Now, what are you drinking, Tom? I'm drinking... It sounds... It might sound dull, but to me, it's not... It's very much a kind of homemade. I've been trying recently. You'll remember the last cocktail have been sort of very much stuff from from the farm. Trying no, to use self promotion. My- God's sakes! Are you paying? I-, I want to speak to our producers at this point. I'd like to know whether Tom Astor is actually paying for these ad spots. He's decided to place on Shaken and Stirred for all the various cocktails that he's branded out of Merris Court. But please continue. I'd love to have one. In fact, this could well, be the beginning of your own cocktail book. So, because I'd be hard-pressed to sell the two ingredients that I've managed to conjure up for it, which is my own well water, carbonated, and my own homegrown lemons, which I've been growing in my greenhouse. But the vodka comes from a guy who works for me, who comes from a place called Zubrówka in Poland. And it's a thing called, you might have heard of this, it's called, it's bison vodka. And it's got bison grass, so all these, but the, the, the vodka okay. bottles will come just up. bison grass, not bison something else. <laughs> Yes, bison. it's got a picture of a bison on it. Bison grass, which is from on the plains near where he lives, which is not far away from the Russian border. Okay, you've made something very ordinary sound extraordinarily um, extravagant and quite sort of almost mysterious and what have you. Basically a vodka with lemon juice. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, vodka lime and soda. Vodka lemon okay. and soda, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Got it. <laughs> um, okay, you fancy What are you drinking? I am drinking, in honor of our guest, nothing less than sex on the beach. Boom. And that, that is peach, snaps, uh, vodka, cranberry, and orange. And I like to do just one, 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 all the way across. Some people put a little less of the peach snaps in, but hey, cheers. Here's to sex on the beach, and may it be as sandy as it sounds. Chin, chin. Mm. Chin, chin. Now, before we get to our guest, uh, a little bit of booze news, shall we? Uh, I hear that you've got some booze news for us. I've got a little bit of booze news coming out of America, coming out of the University of Pittsburgh. Now, this is this could either be great news or it could be troublesome. But the clever people in the University of Pittsburgh have developed technology that goes into your smartphone that senses and can tell when a person has had too many too much to drink. 
basically it does it by judging your gait. So the way you're walking is <laughs> 90% accurate. What they've done is they've, they've, they've done these tests. It's 90% accurate. So, I mean... So the old dotted line on the ground trick, the old, well, you know, when your teacher, headmaster at school or whatever would say, Asta, you're drunk again. And walk this white line. And you'd be like, okay, wait a second. If I, as long as I can walk this line in a straight direction, I'm not, yeah. obviously, clearly I'm okay. That's what this whole app is around. Brilliant. Well, it does that and it does gait would imply just the entire way your body moves. So, I mean, it, it basically detects changes in the way you move. So it logs the way you normally walk around. And then if, it, if obviously you've had a few drinks, your walking apparently does change, your gait changes, and it can tell. Now... Tom, you've always walked that way, by the way. In your... <laughs> strange walk, yeah. A permanent <laughs> drunken gait. I like that. Uh, anyway. I was going to dehydrated gait. So the troublesome issue, the big brother issue, is we gonna, are we going to have smartphones that are going to tell us to connect to our cars and, and prevent our cars from driving. Basically, the guy, Dr. Superletto of the University of Pittsburgh, he basically had been working on this for 10 years. He had, he's had dealt with a lot of people with drink driving issues and all of that and, and, and trauma. So he's doing it from a safety perspective. Now, you know, in future, will, these, will this app connect your car and prevent you from driving home? Will it ring the police? Will it automatically ring a friend, you know? So does that kind of rather sinister or is it helpful element to, to, to this app? The other side of the coin, which is sounds a little less sort of um, sinister, is your phone, you know, if it thinks you've had too much to drink, your phone can basically tell you, tell you that you're pissed and strategize the rest of your evening as in, I wouldn't drink too many more. Um, and what Dr. Stipoletto, what Dr. Stipoletto says, strategize your evening so as how to not take further risks, such as unsafe sex, he quoted, and um, which is totally relevant to our guest this evening. I, or is it? No, it's probably not relevant at all, actually. Well, no, anyway. it could be very relevant, but I'd like to know whether it can also tell you whether you actually should have a drink. Because quite well, exactly. frankly, you know, it might just say, you know what, you're a bit uptight right now. Your gait is, you're sitting far too erect in your chair. And um, why don't you have a drink? Um, well, I mean, joking aside, look, I think it, there is, there's definitely, there's no doubt in the world ahead. There's more and more sort of technology being injected into our everyday lives. And, you know, I was the other day in a car where literally the gentleman took his hands off the wheels and showed me how it just self-drive down the freeway. You know, and you're like, my goodness, that's terrifying. Please put your hands back on the steering wheel. But you can imagine perhaps if you had a smart car and you have a smartphone and the phone tells you you've had too many to drink, that actually, say, perhaps you should just sit back and let the car drive. Um, and maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Maybe when we get self-driving cars, I mean, the thing is, you know, the stuff coming in before you get self-driving cars and actually kind of, in, you know, you know when you've had, you know when you've had, you're over, you know, you've had too many drinks to be over the limit. You know, in England, it's a kind of one and a half vodka tonics, normal measure. And, and you, you're getting close, you know, you can have a pint of beer. You go to a pub in this country, have a pint of beer, a pint and a half if you've got, if you're, if you're larger, like, you know, taller like me. But, you know, and if you're tiny, then, you know, your metabolism, you know, it, you, you drink much less. Scotland has half, because Scotland, you can't even have a, 
half a pint of beer without that. You know, their, their restrictions are much lower than, Eng than England. Well, that's because Scots are very much smaller people. I mean, let's face it, they're very, very small, <laughs> tiny people, and they wear skirts. But, you know, and I'm talking about the men here, but, you know, clearly, you know, this, there's, there is a reason to all of this. Um, and, and don't worry, my mum lives in Scotland and she loves me. Do you not have some sort of Scot? I mean, I've got Scottish heritage. At this point, it might be a good idea just to pretend that you've got some as well. Well, you know, I, I don't have a lot of Scottish heritage. My brothers do. They're all Gordons. Um, and that, hence, my mother lives in Scotland. And hence, the little bit of the dig when it comes to, you know, both the English versus the Scots and, and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, and they're both a lot smaller than me and can't drink nearly as much as I. But it's not really a competition, is it, Tom? No, it's <laughs> is, that, is that the conversation you'll be having with your telephone when it tells us that you... I will, I will. I will. Actually, I have a better idea. You simply turn it off. But anyway, <laughs> forget about being turned off. We're all about being turned on. And let's talk to our next guest. So here I am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You might recognize my guest, our guest this week's voice. And I, there's no holding her back, put it this, this way. I, you can't see her. Obviously, this is a podcast, but she's sitting in an incredibly dark room um, in a black leather chair. It feels like a sort of an episode of uh, Mastermind or something's about to happen. Or, you know, we're about to be interrogated or we're about to rescue her from being sort of... Um, I don't know, stolen by the jihad or something. Well, I've met our guest. Um, she was introduced to me for the very first time as the sex doctor. She's in fact a board certified obstetrician and a gynecologist and chief medical officer and co-founder of True Women's Health. Please welcome sex doctor, Diana Bittner. <laughs> How are you, Diana? Good, I never, delivering babies and doing surgery, I never thought I would have this title, but hey, I'll, I'll take it if that's what it takes. Well, you know, you could, sex doctor, sexy doctor, even. I mean, hey, we hopefully they go, they go together. There they go together. Perhaps they go together. See, Tom's already slightly blushing. In fact, <laughs> slightly at a loss for words. My normal color, mate. So, Doc, what are you drinking? I am drinking a Tito's dirty martini. So we've got it all ready to go. Fancy that! I love it. It's got dirty before we've even begun. Shall I say, "Dirty Diana" by Michael Jackson? Wow, I love it. And by the way, that's the largest cocktail shaker I've ever seen. That's huge. Well, it's great to have for a party, and so you can mix it for everybody. What are you drinking? Well, I am drinking Sex on the Beach, actually, <laughs> just to be on, uh, you know, on topic. I like that. Very good. I thought about that, but I thought, no, I've got to go with a dirty, because everyone knows I like a dirty martini. Doc, let's get to the point. I mean, this is obviously, it's a fun subject. It's a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a very real and, and serious aspect to this conversation. And, you know, one can laugh and joke. And that's part of almost the issue with it the is. subject of sex, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, joking aside, and, 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 I, and I mean this in all honesty, everyone who's listening, you know, writing sort of questions and what have you. I had a few giggles. A few people in my office had a few giggles. Then there were some I serious questions. Giggles. Right, you had a few giggles, you know, and, and obviously it's good to laugh, right? And good, and there's no doubt that's a, another part of it. But the subject of sex and the sort of taboo and the stigma uh, around even this, the discussion within a couple, forget about within society, is a serious aspect to this. And what was the original, for, for you, your original drive to sort of try and crack this nut, if so to speak? It was a lack of knowledge. So, you know, I'm an OBGYN going through a day, delivering babies, doing surgeries. And as I, as I was aging and my patients are aging with me, they started asking me all these questions I could not answer. And us doctors, we like to fix stuff. And I felt like patients would ask me about low sex drive. And, you know, my senior partners would say things to them like, have a drink, 
go on a date. And it just felt very diminutive. It felt like it was totally getting rid of the issue because they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't know how to talk about it. You know, there was no good way to answer the question. I just feel like I didn't have any knowledge. And so I thought, you know, this is something I really need to um, help women with because I could see that it would affect their their sense of self-worth. It would affect their sense of image and it affected their relationship. So I needed to know more. No, 100%, 100%. And, and I, I guess then too, women obviously are your customers, but do you deal with men? Do you deal with, do men come through the clinic? Is, is that a part of it? I know it's a women's clinic, but obviously men are a part of the equation. Right, so they're very welcome to come and we invite that all the time. I've done some telehealth visits actually with couples because the guy doesn't want to come into the, the woman's clinic. But we certainly talk about the aspect of their partner. So of course I take care of some same sex partners and if they're both going through menopause at the same time, forget that. That can be pretty tricky. But um, in terms of, you know, definitely always talking about the partner. And we can talk about maybe some stereotypes or how sex is different for men and women. But we definitely talk about it a lot. And so, you know, where I was first able to start to gain some expertise is at these national meetings with my colleagues who are amazing experts in sexual health who really talk about all the different aspects of this. So I feel like now I know enough about it to be able to talk about it. Can I ask you when, you, when you're talking about, you know, you're the same sex couples and things come, coming to, does this involve the male menopause? Is there such a thing? 100%. So, you know, for example, we're going to talk about the sex deck here in a little bit. Every card in the sex deck applies to a man except low estrogen. That only applies to women. But everything in this card, Tom, applies because, for example, man pause is when you lose your natural levels of testosterone. It really does impact not only your bone health, your muscle mass, it, it, it really can affect your drive. Not so much the ability to have an erection, but it definitely like affects your drive. And you know, we know so much more about sexual desire, spontaneous versus responsive, but yeah, the man pause- Why is it called man pause when it, it's called menopause for women? Surely we should call it womenopause for men or something. Point taken, point taken. But completely unfair. I mean, I just assumed when my mother was going through menopause and her complete revulsion of my father, it was pretty much because she was putting men on pause. But I didn't know. I that, love that. that. Yeah. So good. let's talk about these cards. You've got these cards. You've got a deck of cards. You created this sort of game, sex puzzle game. But it's sex not exactly puzzle. a game game, as we might imagine. It's not sort of uh, erotic questions to get you going, is it? No, but it can be pretty fun in the sense of like I had it with me in my um, bag at a party last week and they're like hey you didn't bring out the sex deck yet so you know we joke about alcohol a little bit in terms of how does that you know impact sexual relations or you know whatever but you know even just to kind of get the conversation going this is a pretty good you know party game but truly not to minimize it to your point this is serious stuff and I invented this because I sat in the back of these medical meetings listening to all the reasons for low sex drive and I thought how am I going to take this back to my patients and talk about this in an efficient way in less than a four hour conversation and actually have the patient leave with knowledge and a plan? And so this makes my conversation with them in the office so much easier. And then, so I had a patient the other day and she's like, you know, I hate to say it. I don't want my husband to know, but I could care less if I ever have sex again, but I'm in a relationship. I want him happy. So help me. And so we went through the cards. And so I'm like, let's go through the deck and see which ones apply to you. And the ones that apply to you on the back and the front is why you might have low drive. And on the back is, 
you know, why you might have that reason and then what to do about it. And she like cried with relief, like, oh my God, it's not in my head. I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. You know, that's the big deal about sexual health is people feel broken. They feel old. They feel less than. They feel like they're not being a good partner. Like it's a big deal. No, it is a big deal. And, it, and actually, you know, I was looking through some of the cards um, and, and looking at the words and looking at what was being discussed. And, you know, there are sorts of things where, you know, and even my, like I've been with my wife, Chrissy, for 26 years almost, married for 21 years this year. And you know, there are things that you, you know, that perhaps you talk about, but other things that you just don't think you perhaps should, or perhaps even you're worried about the answer. You, you don't right. want to really know. You sort of think, well, God, you know, if I ask that question, I open Pandora's box of, of all the things that I don't want to really know. Like, you know, am I that good or am I doing it right? So like this one, lack of attraction, you know, like, you know, but don't let your nose hairs grow. Why you know are you claiming like, lack of attraction? I, didn't, I wasn't talking about lack of attraction, for God's sake. Well, that wouldn't better be something you're worried about. But, you know, it, to your point, like if there's there are conflicts that are not resolved, and, you know, but dissimilar sexual needs and desires. If somebody wants one thing and the other doesn't, and they're afraid to talk about it, like use of a vibrator in the bedroom, like, you know, so we might not want to hear that somebody wants to use something like that. So to your point, what, what I like about the cards is that it takes away that blame game. It takes away the fear of bringing up a conversation because, A, I tell my patients, make me the heavy. You know, like, oh my God, my doctor made me bring this home. Oh my God, my doctor made me look at these. And what do you know? There's real medical re reasons. And I tell you what, the relief that happens when people see this, you know, sometimes it's dramatic with tears, but it's just like, you can just see the weight come off their shoulder. So in Nigel's yeah. case, you just piled it on because he probably is about to say that <laughs> he's about to say that he, his biggest problem is he couldn't find anything that applied to him problematically within the cards. Nigel, I mean... Well, on that note, Tom actually asked me to, to ask you the first question about difficulty achieving orgasm card, which he was very <laughs> interested in, but wanted me to ask on his behalf. <laughs> it's, it's a big deal. And so if we want to go there, first of all, the question you asked me was like, you know, can how many women can't have an orgasm with intercourse? So with something in the vagina, how many, you know, what percent? Only 30% of women can have an orgasm with intercourse. And so... You know, I call men just don't believe that, though, do they? Men think that somehow they feel that when they're having sex, you should have an orgasm at the same time or something. Exactly. So that's a nice thought, and it happens sometimes. But then let's talk about defining sex. What's sex? It's intimacy and pleasure. It doesn't always have to be that screaming orgasm you had mutually at 20. You know, it's sex is different. And if, for example, a couple is he's had prostate cancer and can't have an erection ever again, and she's in menopause. You know, it's like, you know, trying to put an oyster in a toaster, you know, it's, it's not going to work. So then it's like, how can, sorry to give you an image, but then, you know, let's define intimacy and sex. It's, it's just pleasure. It's being together. It doesn't always have to be that. No, goodness me. I mean, sorry, Tom's face was priceless at that moment <laughs> with the, the old oyster in the toaster. I felt like he'd been there before. So what about, let's go back to the orgasm thing a little bit. Yeah. You know, so many, so many women will say, you know, to your point, like, is it that they're not asking for what they need? So, so many women are too shy to say, listen, with intercourse, I can't have an orgasm. I don't want you to feel bad. I'm having performance anxiety because you so want me to have an orgasm. Like, how do I get around this? And so I say, well, you just have to say that only 30% of women have this. 
So it is important to do stuff before. And then, you know, if you can get close to an orgasm before intercourse and then you have intercourse, it's going to increase the likelihood. And then you just had 10 more minutes of fun. And maybe you even grow closer by kind of exploring what that takes. So a lot of women will say, why do I want to have sex if I don't even get an orgasm out of it? It's not even worth it to me. And so then I teach her how to have the conversation and language to say that won't hurt the guy's feelings because, you know, we don't want to go there. And so how can we keep everybody built up and feeling good, but yet in the end, they have a better experience and he's going to get more sex if she's going to have an orgasm and then everybody's happy. What about the, the you know, obviously, there's, I guess, the, when it comes to orgasms, right, the, the, the issue of like men being premature with orgasms as well. And so therefore, mm-hmm. the whole thing is over very fast for, for women. Um, and so the whole thing even seem, can seem, you know, again, not fun for them. Right. You know? But then, you know, an attitude could be, you know, hey, more time for me, you know, so he can do more stuff for her. She can have a couple of orgasms without intercourse. Or maybe they get her almost to inner to orgasm. He quickly goes in, even if it doesn't last long. They're both happy, and then they can do more fun stuff afterwards. And what I'll even tell women is that did you know guys can even have another orgasm? Do you know where their G spot is? Or for men who can't have an erection for whatever reason, they can still have an orgasm without erection. You just got to get past the whole manly thing of having an erection. You can still have an orgasm. Tom it's also not- asked me to ask you where that other G spot was. So that G spot is, if I may be frank, you lift up the boys and it's right under there. So it's right on top of the prostate on, you know, on the perineum. So right above the rectum. So if you give that area attention, however one wants to give that area attention with a vibrator, with whatever, then it helps a male have an orgasm. Or let's say he has performance anxiety or he's afraid he can't have an erection or he's got ED and he just started his meds. It's a way that one can kind of get that going or keep an an erection longer, so there isn't that premature um, loss of erection. There's a lot of stuff one can do. No, I, no, for sure, without a doubt. And I mean, I think, in my opinion, the, and I certainly the way we in our household, you know, between Chrissy and I, it's always for me. I always think the best thing to do is to, to make sure that she's happy first. She's achieved orgasm first. And at that point, you know, that you're a happy wife and then, you know, sort of happy life, so to speak. But if you, if you wait the other way around, I think a lot of guys have this attitude of once they have reached orgasm, then their sexual drive is dropped so much that they therefore no one to do anything else, do anything else, roll over, go to sleep type of thing. So that's a real problem. So if you, if that is you guys out there listening, then you, you know, get your woman, your partner, whoever it might be, make sure they're happy first, right? Exactly. And, and to really take time with all that is. And again, if it's a really good experience for her as well, then you're more likely to get it more, you know? So sometimes too, it's just talking in very practical terms, you know, even in terms of, you know, being sensual and having her have an orgasm first, but all the other things that goes into a sexual relation, you know, the last thing she's going to want to have sex, if the kids are knocking on the door and she's worried about everything else that she's got to get done you can just kind of give the kids a bath and give her a little time, then it's going to be, you're much more likely to, to get some, to have intimacy. So again, it's being very practical. That's why I have my bedroom on the top floor of the house, actually, apart from everyone else, just to make sure, you know, we've got complete um, privacy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it's interesting, this whole concept of, of orgasm though, you, you know, obviously it's a, it's a big issue, but I was looking at Instagram just recently and the, you know, my wife is a yogi and she has a yoga Instagram account called Chin Twins, but there are a lot of big yogis out there, well-known with 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. And mm -hmm. they've, recently they've been promoting, um, and not my wife so much, but, but her friends and other people out there, uh, vibrators. And I was a bit sort of taken aback by this whole thing. There were, there were multiple sure. top yogis promoting vibrators and you know this concept of wellness and using a vibrator and sexual health uh, and it's very much come into into the world of sort of if you like um, fitness yoga lifestyle and what Get have a you vibrator. and vibrator the, the rabbit no less which i i, I you know I've, I've heard of this i've never actually seen one to be fair no 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 i'm just trying to work out nice this is runs this thing called the dog pound gym in new york and literally, when he was talking just then, I'm start, he was saying fitness and wellness and vibrators have just made their thing. And I just had this image of him standing in the dog pound holding a, a rabbit, wondering what's next. Yeah, maybe that's what's next. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've held a rabbit back on the, in the highlands of Scotland. <laughs> so, so tell us about it. What, what, is, what is happening in the world of, or, or, you know, as far as you know, vibrators are now become very commonplace that people are advertising them on Instagram, you know, almost as a fitness tool? Right. Well, I think the one thing that can maybe make us uncomfortable is we're just not used to talking about that. And probably five years ago, I would have been very comfortable talking about that with a patient or heaven forbid on a national podcast, but it's really become something that's more prevalent when we're talking about the 70% of women who can't have an orgasm with intercourse, but they yet want to have an orgasm with intercourse, but they know it's not going to happen, let's say, without using a vibrator at exactly the same time. But I think it makes us uncomfortable because it's such a private thing, or it's such a thing we're not used to. Um, and in terms of health, I mean, yes, it is important to get blood flow to the to the pelvic floor. So especially if someone has, you know, a little bit of a looser pelvic floor after having lots of babies, by having orgasm and blood flow, that certainly can help build up the pelvic floor. Um, if someone's had breast cancer and they're low estrogen, then having an orgasm definitely can help keep blood flow coming to the pelvic floor. So I guess, you know, in the vein of me wanting this to be something we could talk about at cocktail hour, I think it is a good thing that it's out there in the media more. And we just, we get over the, the saying vibrator or seeing it because again, it just looks so private. Like, I don't want to see, think about somebody else using that. I don't want to have the image of them doing that. What you've described and the, the, the people that you're dealing with as in talking to and coming to your clinics and your, you know, your, your, your patients as it were, you're describing a kind of um, an older generation, you know, uh, who've you know been through their lives, had babies or whatever, and they're getting to the point where, you know, having been probably sexually active their entire lives, they're becoming less sexually active, and then right. you know, you're educating them in in the in the whys and wherefores and what's going on. Is there a Dr. Bittner for the other end of the scale? Because, and I reason I ask you this question is because, you know, I've got children who are, you know, I've got a 19 year old daughter, I've got a 17 year old son. And we didn't have, when we were kind of their age, we didn't yep. have pornography and we didn't have the internet and we didn't have that kind of, you know, stereotypical how to have sex, you know, thing that's going on in the internet. Right. You know, we might have had kind of Playboy or something that shared around the dormitories. In fact, we did. My, you know, Nigel and I have many times swapped to, you know, but in those days, you know. But it felt dirty, you know, right? And you had to sneak it. You know, it was, yeah, but don't you have sneaker? But also in those days, it was, you know, your breasts and a little bit, you know, you never, there was no sort of penetrations. Now, what kids are watching these days is, you know, if that is going to be the first, their first encounter with, right. with sex, and that is going to be their, their kind of like 
Right, okay, they know nothing about it, right? They're just starting to kind of ex experiment and that they, their go-to is the internet and pornography. And you go to right. it and you're like, okay, and girls are doing it, boys are doing it. So girls right. think they behave in a certain way, boys are generally misogynistic, generally demeaning, generally, you know, right. just nothing natural, loving or, or, or intimate about any of right. it. So is there, my question is, is there, in your, in your world, you're, as far as I can, I'm aware, on a certain age yeah. group, it strikes me that the importance of what you're doing, it, you know, is important. But it's to start it fresh. Is it there? Is that support network? Is, is it is something that you feel? I mean, how do you feel about the, the availability? So, yeah, all of this. So number one, there really isn't as far as I've seen. You know, there's us women's health docs. And, and I really see that as an issue. About a, a year ago, I was asked to give um, sexual health talks at a local high school. And the principal, we went to high school together. And she said, hey, will you do the sex talk? And I said, sure, I can talk about sexually transmitted diseases all day long. I can scare them, whatever the hell. Yet I said, I also want to talk about if he gets an orgasm, she does too. Do I get to talk about that? And she said, uh, no. And I was not invited to give that talk. So at my clinic, and I've started a program called the Empower Program. So it's for women 25 and under to come in for a one hour appointment to talk about everything. And what's been so fun is these girls come in, their mom usually makes them come in, and they're sitting there all nervous. And I'm like, you know what, we're here to talk about everything or nothing. We can just talk about the weather so you can leave and your mom thinks you were here. But we really get into it. We talk about sex and we talk about, again, choices and what they deserve. They deserve to be treated well. And that comes from self-esteem. Then we talk about sex. We talk about orgasm. We talk about pain. And they have so many questions. It's like Pandora box opens. And when they leave, they say things like, oh my God, this was so fun. So I really am seeing more and more the need. I'm learning from these younger women, you know, what it is. And so I really plan to, to work on that. You know, I've got yeah. one book out for midlife and menopause, but working on the next book for that younger generation and getting more online. Like I do Facebook lives talks all the time. You know, the more that I can do to spread the word and empower women. Yeah, it's not just the, the girls though, is it? It's, it's like, it's the guys. You know, I've, got, right. I've got a 17 year old son now. You know, it's impossible, it's impossible to control all of the time what they have access to on the internet. Now, you can control your own house, but they're going to they're gonna see stuff. They're gonna, We're exposed, yeah. So, so, but for the boys, you know, it's, I think it's as, it's as important for boys, you know, from the age of a sexually activation, whatever, 15, 16 upwards, you know, to, to understand that, you know, a sexual relationship isn't a mimic, you know, you, you don't have to mimic what you're seeing you know, in hardcore pornography. But you know, Tom, it's also like things like music as well, right? So a lot of the music the, the kids are listening to as well are very aggressive and a very sort of, you know, people are treated and talked about in a very sort of certain way and perspective. And that's the issue that I certainly have with certain music that even my kids listen to. I'm like, well, you know what? The, the lyrics are really poor lyrics and that's not a way you should speak to anybody. Oh, but it's just music. Oh, it's a good beat. And right. I'm like, no, we, we don't talk about women as hoes. We don't talk about women like that. It's not the way we speak and it's not the way you should think. Right. And I, that's something which I think is very, very, very important. But, you know, the, the lack of sex education from a perspective of how does one pleasure the other partner right. concept is completely lacking. Right. So there are there's sex education, as in these are your balls. This is your vagina. This is your breast. Right. This is when you're going to develop. And, you know, this is what sex is. But it's right. it's you know, it's, it's even worse than the wildlife channel almost as far as what's available for children and versus. You know, I mean, I never was explained. But no one explained to me 
how to pleasure, how to make a woman have a, an orgasm, so to speak. Right. I know my, my brothers, my father, no one spoke to me about that. It was literally, you know, I had to be showed by, by one of my girlfriends, this is what you do. And if you don't, then, it, but then I'm thinking, my God, I've never done that before. But right. I didn't even know. I didn't even really un, un, know my way around, you know, that part of the, the, the body. And I think that that sort of, even talking about it is taboo. It's almost like, oh my goodness, you can't say right. that. Well, yeah. even we do an exam in the clinic and we, I pull out the mirror and say, let's do a little anatomy lesson down there. And most women are like, really? And, you know, most women don't even know their own parts. And so, you know, we can't expect you guys to know our parts if we don't even know our parts. And so we've got a lot of work to do. And that's why I'm just so grateful that you guys would have this podcast and talk about this in such a way. And, you know, it just makes me more and more encouraged that we're really you know, we're getting there. I'm a part of a group called Ishwish, um, the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. And we're right now building a website that people can go to with sexual dysfunction, sexual pain. You know, we can talk about pain with sex, which is a whole nother conversation. But, you know, it's what can women do? What's a resource? And on this panel, we have some patient advocates, women who have looked for answers, haven't found them, that have really helped inform how we're building this website, for example. You know, it's funny, you should mention the history of, you know, the pain with sex, because my next thing I have written down here was history of pain with sex. And it was one from one of your cards. And it struck me initially because it's, it sounds like an, obviously a, a difficult subject to talk about. But, but I also recall, for example, there you have it right there, uh, you know, but I recall, for example, when my wife had had our first child, you know, right. and, and she was recovering and, you know, she was had had a lot of pain with sex, and it was difficult. Right. And the, you know, you did she breastfeed? Not, she was breastfeeding. What happens is that when women, especially, I know Chrissy's thin, so especially when women are thin, there's not a lot of fat to store up a lot of extra estrogen. And when a woman is breastfeeding, her estrogen is super low because if it weren't, then it wouldn't stimulate that milk production. So it's the same thing that a woman deals with in menopause. So when the estrogen is really low. I think about the skin of the vagina like you're like a carpet. So you've got a brand new carpet and you've got a big, th thick plush carpet and then you've got the pad and then you've got the baseboard. So a woman in menopause or right after childbirth who's breastfeeding, there's the carpet's threadbare, there's no padding, you're right on the baseboard. So all the lube in the world, it's just putting slippery stuff on top of the baseboard. It's still baseboard. So the nerves are exposed, it's really raw, the skin can tear. You know, it's just awful, right? So the same thing happens in menopause. And so that's why estrogen can be such an important part of treating a woman with pain because it allows the skin to thicken up. Um, and we have other options such as the Mona Lisa for women who can't take estrogen because they've had breast cancer or uterine cancer. So there's a lot we can do for women at all stages of life. Even What's the Mona Lisa? What's the, the Mona Lisa is a laser. Um, that we have at the clinic that there's there's about 100 lasers around the country that are used to actually laser the skin of the vagina and the outside that regenerates the skin to similar to estrogen. So it's no better than estrogen, but it's as good as estrogen therapy to thicken that skin back up after menopause. Side question, but why is it called the Mona Lisa? <laughs> I don't know. It was developed by an Italian company um, and they named it the Mona Lisa Laser Touch. So, okay, I just thought perhaps afterwards, perhaps no matter where you were in the room, you thought it was looking at you. Or you uh, smile. Yes, or you're not quite sure whether she's smiling or frowning. Actually, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just, just stop. Um, <laughs> uh, goodness me. Um, so another card you have, which is the sort of on topic for the shaken and stirred, is excessive alcohol consumption. Yes. Right? So clearly, 
people often, and you mentioned it right at the top of the show, was what some of the other doctors you were hearing them sort of recommend, have a drink, right? right. Have a drink and you'll loosen up. And have a drink fine. and you'll be fine. You know, you'll be more relaxed and everything will be just, you know, you'll whatever. But right. it almost sounds like the worst idea um, at the same time as being, I get it. I, there's no doubt we've all had a drink and we can, a lot of people find they can talk to people, more communicative. Lose inhibition. You know, lose right. inhibitions and all the rest of it. But at the same time, perhaps they will also do things that they shouldn't do. But excessive alcohol consumption, perhaps it also ruins your game, right? It's sort of in effect, it sort of takes away your libido. Exactly. It takes away your libido, especially chronically over a long time. Plus excessive alcohol tends to lead to weight gain and depression and just sort of a lack of wanting to do anything. So definitely it can affect desire, but it can also affect- Tom is an anomaly in this instance, by the way. He's someone that excessive alcohol consumptions had no effect at all on his libido. But anyway, go on. But, but so it can affect, you know, not only desire, but function. So just like a guy might not be able to get up an erection after four drinks, but one drink, he's fine, loses inhibition, not worried about performance anxiety. A woman is the same way. So it can be harder to have arousal. It can be harder to have an orgasm when there's been too much alcohol. The other thing I think about is a little bit of alcohol can make one, again, lose inhibition, but too much really takes away all the ability to really feel, to really connect to really be in the moment. So, you know, excessive alcohol just doesn't work for really good sexual function, a good sexual health relationship. Right, Tom? Right, Tom? No, I'm just thinking, sorry, I was just, I, I, very random thought. With your, with your initial, you know, the, the uh, in England we call it, I think it's referred to with the male issue of, of drink, excess alcohol, it's a brewer's droop. I was wondering if there was an American version of that i don't know yeah. wow that's you see you're learning something too here doc Dro- i appreciate that brewer's droop no no but what i'm, what I'm saying is is basically you know what we, what we term brewer's droop is it's interesting to think of it in, in a female spit it out tom spit it out i'm getting this so you have basically the same i mean it's not the same physiological the same thing, anatomy obviously. it's just smaller it's just yeah so you get exactly the same desensitization yeah yeah lack, lack of libido yeah I, see, I love the way sort of, is this what you, all your conversations with the men must be like this, with them all dancing around the point, refusing to actually, just excuse the pun, excuse, try, <laughs> terrified of, of actually saying it, just, wait, is it, what I'm trying to say, um, <laughs> what I mean is, is sort of as if you can imagine, perhaps, um, <laughs> if you look at it from this angle, uh, you know, maybe it's hot from one foot to the other, let me have another drink even. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping at your clinic you actually serve dirty martinis to all your guests on, on arrival. Well, maybe, maybe we should. No, but um, yeah. So I actually do very soon want to have, I know you've been to West Michigan, Nigel. So there's a store here called AK Ricks and they're soon going to host a, you know, classy conversation for couples, sex 101 after 40. I can't wait to have that, that, that meeting and lead that group through some conversation. It should be very enlightening. Is it true that men are more interested in sex than women? I wouldn't say so. I think it's a different thing. And, and the danger here is that I might get into st- some stereotypes. So please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But I really, the more I take care of women, you know, for women, it tends to be something on the list. It's something that, yes, women think about that. Yes, for many women, it's a big part of self-image and feeling sexual helps you feel young and beautiful and, you know, capable. But for men, it, it tends to be what I hear, you know, first of all, I think you guys think about it, what, every 90 seconds? I don't know how you get anything done. 
but it's something that if I'm having sex with my woman, my world is good. The rest of it could crumble and fall apart, but that's a basic part of survival. And it's like, you want to be wanted. Whereas women, we know we're wanted by way too many people. That's not really that as important to me. I want my man to want me, but hey, I've got all these other things on my plate. So it's more like vacation sex or when everything is okay sex or you know when all the kids are gone on a sleepover or when, you know, and that's why menopause can be such a bummer. It's like the kids are finally gone. The house is finally ours. And oh my God, now it hurts because my estrogen is low. So I think we think about it as much, but just in a different way. And by the way, I think the 90 second rule is not so much that it's every 90 seconds we have a thought about sex. It's just that actually there's probably large periods of time where we don't think about sex at all. But then all of a sudden, it's all we think about solidly for hours on end. So you know, I think that is that is the difference. So when you divide it up, it's every 90 seconds okay. um, versus it being yeah. like... We literally like we can't focus we're having a middle of a conversation in a business meeting and it's sort of like oh, sex oh, sex oh, sex no not quite like that that's reassuring i'm really looking for i think we should revisit this this podcast with a with a psychologist because nigel you you've you revealed an awful lot just through your questioning in this and clearly you're going to be in michigan at the over 40s um at this over 40s Q, it's not a Q&A, what is it? It's a it's conference. It'll be a, definitely be a Q&A, but you know, a discussion with couples to get people to talk about it. Because again, there's so much of this fear of talking about it. We know that 80% of women have concerns about sexual health. Only 20% will ever bring it up to their doctor. And doctors know it's an issue. It's probably an issue for them, but yet they're afraid to bring it up because they don't know what they're talking about. So we just have to really improve education, provide ways to do it. You know, the sex deck is just a great tool to get that conversation going in the office. I wish every doctor had the sex deck in their pocket because then it would just make them an instant sex expert. They wouldn't have to feel bad about it. And now they can just talk about it, give the sex deck, and then let's go from there. You need you need Nigel up there on the stage because, I mean, given his performance in the last half an hour, you know, he's clearly <laughs> quite happy to discuss his wife's and his intimate sex details of their sex lives it, it, on a podcast, lots of people, which is something that you're trying to carry. Uh-huh. I'd love to hear Chrissy. Is Chrissy there? Can we get her on? Just see, see if she's like, have you asked if she, is he first Well, I almost think we should market the sex deck with like condoms because then, you know, like a guy would say, if you want more sex, then have the conversation about emotional connectedness. You know, you're, you're much more likely. So we know that, for example, women over the age of 50, they're much less likely to want sex if they have poor self-image. Let's say that with menopause, they gain 30 pounds, which is what many women do. And they just don't feel good about themselves. And they haven't had a decent conversation with their husband and their partner for a month because they're all running around busy taking care of everybody else. So we've got to stay connected and we've got to take care of our health so we can still want to have sex after 50. You know, the thing that still worries me is that it's great that we've, you know, that you've got to a point where you're discussing these things with people who have had a lifetime of sex, or maybe not. Maybe you're dealing with people who've never had. You know, there might be, you know, the. Well, I could tell you a phone call I had once. There's a 90-year-old woman who heard me on TV talking about orgasm, and she's like, she came to see me, and I'm like, so why are you here? And she's like, well, I heard you on TV talking about orgasm. I've never had one. I'm 90. What can I do? I want to have an orgasm before I die. And I just met wow. this guy at the Florida trailer park. Can you help me out? So we got her all tuned up with some vaginal estrogen. She bought a vaginal dilator and she and George were fine. I'm like, can George still get, get an erection? She's like, 
I guess he still can. So, so anyways, you know, it's like, yeah, some people haven't had sex ever. That's good in their life. And we can, little education goes a long way. There's still hope, Tom. There's still hope. Oh boy. <laughs> it's never too late. Yeah. But I want the, you know, the hope, giving the hope to, I don't know for me, I don't know. It's just, it's just the thing that just doesn't, won't go away with it's This is a, couldn't a lot of, the issues you're dealing with now with your clients at, or client patients at the moment have been avoided if, again, the young, when yes. they were younger, they'd had yes. access to proper conversations about this stuff. And I'm absolutely talking about a relationship is not what you see in a hardcore porn film. You know, that is exactly. not, a, you know. But Tom, you know, if there's one thing the medical world is very good at, it's 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 not actually curing a problem. It's giving a remedy at the end. So it's far better to, instead of actually getting, otherwise they wouldn't have a job, right? So much better for them to educate the youth so that they would fix them later. I mean, joking aside, but I mean, you know, no, clearly. But that's why I started my own clinic, because in the healthcare system, I had to see a patient every 20 minutes. I, you know, I have to worry about insurance, have to worry about all that stuff. That's why I started my own clinic because I want to take the time to have these conversations and get out in front of it. And to your point, you know, it's like, that's why a lot of docs don't want to talk about it because I can't write a prescription for it. Now we now do have medications for low desire for women. We have Addy, which help, which is a daily pill. And then we have Vilesi, which is, we call it the horny shot. It's a shot that women can give themselves to help increase their sexual desire. So, you know, we now actually have prescriptions, but do doctors know when it's appropriate to prescribe them? That's the problem. So we've got to do a better job of, you know, informing our ranks, but then women have to know that there's options so they're asking for it. Wow. You want to know more about the horny shot, don't you? I do. I'm fascinated with the horny shot. How could you tell? You're, you're just sort of like, we're stopping wants, and thinking about he that. He wants to know if the horny shot's for men as well. I think You already his... want to have sex. That's not the problem. No, <laughs> the horny shot. You don't need the horny shot. Women need the horny shot. Now, for some women, they have, it's called HSDD, hypoactive sexual desire disorder. But for some women, that switch just flips. You know, they have a good relationship. They're not in menopause or if they're in menopause, they're being treated. You know, they don't have depression or anxiety. They have a good relationship. They, they don't drink too, much, too many martinis. The switch flips and they feel broken and they feel like, when I talked to a patient about this and I said, this is real, this is a medical problem. She truly just started bawling in my office. Like, oh my God, there's, there's hope. I'm only 48 and there's like, I'm not broken. And so she used the horny shot and she's doing great. You can only use it six times a month, but she's happy with six times a month. And now she wants to want sex again because she feels normal. Oh, well, that, wow. That's interesting. I, it's actually six times a month. I mean, I'm, okay. That's all right. That's it. I mean, yeah, we can deal with that. Hey. <laughs> he was about to give away another intimate detail. I mean, you know, it's, no, sorry, Tom. I don't worry. I've got your list of questions here, Tom. And don't worry. I, I will, when I go and do this, you know, session with them in West Michigan, I will make sure I come back and report to you so that everything Perfect. will be okay in Oxford. You know, Seriously, and, and Nigel, if you come... If you if you come if you come to West Michigan, I bet you know you could be the moderator, and you know we'll have Pamela like get us you know all set up to say we got to do this. And I, and I will come. Okay. Oh God. That's nice. Get take see if your wife will go with you and she's okay with it. That sounds. Well, Chrissy wrong as well. has to come. Yes, we it, see it's a couple's conversation. Chrissy's got to. This, this this whole conversation. <laughs> Don't say come. Stop saying the word. Stop saying the word. I'm gonna have another drink. 
you see, as you can't help but laugh and smile, but it's a good part of it. But at the same time, it is one of the issues with this whole thing where we are so, are so wound up. I'm going very red. You're and blushing. Blush. I love it, Tom. Blushing. I thought I you guys would make me blush, and turns out I'm making you blush. I kind of like this. Squirm. No, not squirm. That's the wrong word. Blush, yeah, for sure. We're okay. not even in the same room, not even in the same country, or even in the same <laughs> states, and we're, we're making each other blush. So I can imagine, you know, that's what this conversation is like. Now, I know we hit on pornography sort of earlier a little bit, but I was just, and Tom was mentioning it, and, but is, is there ever a positive sign to, side to pornography? Does it have a use at all? I mean, for some people it does in the sense of it helps them imagine themselves in that role and feeling that way. So I would say, of course, if it's in a, if it's in a relationship together and people are using it as one of those cues to help with arousal, so for example, we know that men usually within 30 seconds, you're ready to go. You're aroused, sex, really? Mm, ready to go. With women, it takes 30 minutes to get aroused. And so is that a safe way within a safe space, you know, that people are able to have some arousal? Of course. But again, you know, respectful and safe. And I guess, how do we say pornography or respectful? But but again, if you're using it in a way that is a healthy way and it, and you're not making unhealthy choices because of it. So I, I think there is a role. It just has to be a mutual decision. I've had patients who say, my husband really likes watching porn and it really offends me and it turns me off. So I would say, oh, to, and, and she's like, but my husband wants to watch it anyways. And I'm like, well, if it turns you off and he's going to get less sex and it's not about what you like, then I would think he might care about that. And then, but could you offer some suggestions that you could do something other than porn, you know, that would help you have that same, you know, same arousal effect. Wow. And what, what would that recommendation be, though? Because it's that is an interesting one. And I'm not, you know, you, I actually, you know, sure. you know, you hear about men who, who look at porn and what have you. And it's sort of so one of those things where I can totally understand why the, the, the partner would be upset by it, because it's right. sort of like it's not them or, you know, he's looking at other people and it's not their life. And so therefore they you know, would feel disconnected and potentially, you know, upset and humiliated, maybe even jealous. But in fact, are the men looking at it for the woman? Like she's so hot and oh my God, like I'm fantasizing about her or are they fantasizing about how they feel when the, the woman in the porn is doing stuff to the guy? Are they more seeing themselves? And I want to feel pleasure like that guy did. I want to feel pleasure. And so can they use it as, okay, this is what I really like. I saw that guy, you know, had a lot of pleasure from that. Can we talk about that? And then the woman says, but I don't want to have sex with you if you yelled at my kid and if you're not nice to me and you don't respect me and you don't respect my wishes, why would I even want to have sex with you? So it's to lead into that conversation and say, okay, I appreciate you watched the porn. I appreciate you got aroused because of it. What about it got you aroused? And again, how many people are going to have that level of a conversation? So we want to help people have that conversation. And that's on the card of dissimilar needs and likes. You know, how do we do that? And there are really incredible sex health sex therapist. You know, there's a website called asect.org. Um, a dear friend and colleague of mine, Cheryl Kingsburg, is at Cleveland. And she does such a good job, even through telehealth, and I can connect people to her. But, you know, to really talk about these things, there, there are therapists all over the country that can help people work through the dissimilar needs and desires to get to what is it really that they want. No, 100%. You know, if you think back to sort of Dr. Root, you know, Dr. Root, you know, there have been people, you know, if you look back now, I suppose, on that kind of, you know, all quite tame, I suppose, compared to, you right. know, the conversations you can have. But, you know, this is, 
it's been a lot what you're doing it's been a long time i mean you, i was about to say a long time coming, coming. Where it, <laughs> I knew probably, <laughs> unfortunately the word of the word of the evening you know it's it's taken a long time to get to a point where you i mean you're sort of you're you know you're pioneering a whole new conversation and you're pioneering right. something that people still literally you know during the course of this situation nigel's he's taken the reins and is is, is very open and keen to sort of you know throw his his stuff in there his i'm sitting there i'm sitting back here you're saying something i'm blushing i'm i'm you know thousands of miles away but you know just, for no, you know if i sat here and thought about it then i then i probably wouldn't but the initial reaction is so you know it's sure. it, it, it's going to take it's going to it's going to take time isn't it i mean it's it's, it's, it's not, it, is it an uphill struggle or, or do you are you kind of empowered by the speed at which things are changing i mean how do you do you feel it is changing is it is it happening fast enough I think it's not happening fast enough because there's not enough of us doing it in an appropriate, classy way. So I would argue that we've said a lot of things that could be a bit shocking in terms of, but we've done it in a way that I would say it's appropriate. I would say that it's not disrespectful. You know, so on one hand, it's been a long time coming, but the more we talk about it, and and even as I talk to an 18-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 90-year-old. You know, it's like once we have that initial conversation and really make it like, wow, there is a lot to this, people really instantly open up. So I think, you know, it's getting past that initial conversation. And I ask my patients all the time, like, how can we improve this conversation? I hold focus groups, you know, in developing the sex cards, I had focus groups look at the cards and people are like, thank you for doing this work, keep doing it. And so, yeah, and then, for you know, and it takes everybody, right? It takes you know, myself as a physician. So hopefully a little credibility, the education and the experience, but then it takes the grassroots, it takes, you know, the public and, um, you know, being out there like, you know, with you guys on this show and like the more we can get the word out, the better it is. I love that line from the movie, The American President. In the absence of truth, people listen to whoever's talking. And if the only person talking is the rap singer, is, you know, the the porn, is the, you know, the sitcoms, you know, then yeah, it, it forms this collective awareness. So if we can come in there, you know, with a different voice and a different way to do it, that's still fun, you know, entertaining and with a martini. Okay. If that's what we, it takes. Good point, actually. Yeah. The, the, the whole conversation of sex is such a, a an important one, if, if taboo. And, and certainly with, you know, I've got young kids in the house and I've been having, you know, convers- beginning to have conversations and had conversations sure. on the subject of sex. And you, you, you know, in a way, you can never do it too early. But of course, you have to be, you don't want to say it, do it too early because you, don't, you put eyes ears into people's heads. But this right. conversation of you know, certain parents haven't had this conversation at all. Um, right. You know, when it's scheduled on the school calendar to be able to sort of, that's when they're having that conversation. Right. You also know what your kids are doing. You know what you were doing, by the way, FYI parents out there. You know, what were you thinking and doing at, what, at, at that age, at their age? And what were your thoughts? And so it's, if you don't have those conversations, if you don't have the sort of general conversations, you, you run into all kinds of problems, right? And I think you plant the seeds. And, you know, I don't know if this is surprising, to you, but you know, one of the number one reasons kids don't talk about it, or it's the same reason why kids lie. They, it's not that they don't want to get in trouble. It's that they don't want to make you ashamed of them. They don't want to feel shame. They want you to be proud of them. And so if I'm thinking thoughts about sex, am I bad? Am I dirty? Is my dad going to be ashamed of me because I'm having these thoughts? So one of the first things I do when I talk to these younger gals is I just say, you know, it's normal to think about sex. 
And you might choose not to have sex. You might choose to have sex, but it's normal to think about it. You know, it's normal to, you know, to, to explore things and see how it feels. Like it's normal because your hormones are raging and you could get pregnant right now. Like your body is about procreation. So I think it's planting the seeds. I think it's to say to your kids, if you have thoughts about sex, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to bring it up with me because I don't think you're bad. I think that is how you start the conversation. Probably though, a lot of of the girls that you're talking to about this are talking to you in the first place because it's exactly what hasn't happened. You know, they have got parents who haven't talked to them about it, or maybe they've got a mother who doesn't know how to talk to them about it and go talk to you. But again, you know, it's like, it's sort of, it's a habit thing, isn't it? It's about changing the, changing the record, you know, changing behavior as we go down the line. You know, just because your parents didn't say something to you doesn't mean to say that you can't learn how important it is to say it to the next generation and change, you know, change, change the dynamic, exactly. change, the pattern, change the pattern. And if we can just give people those first words to say, like, you know, it's like, if I can give permission to a mom to say to her kid, it's okay if you think about sex, it right away. And there might not be no reaction from the kid for a month because they're like, what do I do with this? And that they think about it, but now you've planted the seed and you've opened the door. It's like saying to your kid, don't ever drink, but if you drink and get in trouble, still call me. I'm not going to be mad at you until you're sober and we'll talk about it later. Or don't drink and drive. But if you drink and drive and you get caught, call me. I will take care of you no matter what. Later, we'll have a conversation about choices and consequences. So it's like, it's we don't want our kids to do these things, but we know that they're going to do some of those things and we're still here for them. So then it provides that ability to have a really trusting relationship. And then we know more, sometimes too much, but then then it's a healthy conversation. At what age, I mean, does this depend on the child? What age is it is it permissible and, and advisable and, and, and recommended in your, from your point of view to I have an 11 year old, I have an 11 year old son. At what point do I turn around to him and, you know, and say, it's OK to think about sex? I mean, I have no idea if he's thinking, you know, I have no idea. He's 11, so probably not. But I have no idea. I mean, or maybe, I I mean again, it's, you can look at even just some of the physical characteristics. We all know the signs of puberty with, you know, armpit hair and all that. But, you know, I think one initial way to bring up the conversation is, I don't know, in the UK, if you're giving the HPV shot to boys as well, but it's like, you're going to go to your pediatrician, you're going to get the the HPV shot. You know, when my kids got the shot, I said, you know, this doesn't mean that it's okay to have unprotected sex. It's not, it's okay. But, you know, this is for when you choose to have sex and you're going to get a shot that will protect you from the HPV virus. So maybe that's a way to talk about it. But, you know, you know your kid best. I think with kids, it's so important to plant the seed, allow permission, and then just kind of see what happens. And then a month later, kind of say something again. Or if you're watching a TV show, kind of say, oh, did you see how that man was really nice to her? You know, even just to talk about relationship stuff. So, you know, your kid best. But I think it's to be gradual and plant the seeds. Talking about planting seeds, my goodness, <laughs> Dr. Diana Bittner, thank you so much for all your you know, words of wisdom and pearls of wisdom. And I think we could definitely revisit this conversation and we should perhaps regroup and, and do another podcast on. And I, would, I would really like to go to the audience and ask them a bunch of questions too and hear directly what they would Please. like to hear from you because it is fascinating and it is so important and, and so relevant and yet such a taboo subject and uh, all over the world. And it doesn't yeah. seem to matter what country you come from or what 
you know, religion, religious background or whatever, it is it's taboo and difficult to speak about no matter what or who. Although I did, was this hearing about a, a television show in Denmark where they were having adults stand naked in front of children and um, oh then basically be asked any question by these children. This is the New York Times this week. Um, and the children are, are basically asking them if they were embarrassed to have small genitalia or whether they, <laughs> when was the first time they had sex or is it difficult when you're overweight and having sex or right. people find you attractive when you have small breasts and and, and it was and it's to, to adult adults who are standing in front of them completely naked but that's brilliant actually you know like i mean it's very shocking a little bit but it's very brilliant in the sense of it just makes it a normal thing i remember my daughter was an exchange student in france and she came back and said oh my god you know french people can't talk about money for anything but they can talk about sex like nothing but americans we can talk about money but we can't talk about sex so I think there's definitely a cultural thing. And the English think talking about money is vulgar and sex, absolutely. Well, can you talk about anything? As a girlfriend once said to me, I had a Canadian girlfriend who went away, I split up with her, and it, and it stays with me forever because she was absolutely spot on. But when we split up and she, she can quite work out what was going on, she just said, the only conclusion I can reach is the, that you're totally emotionally retarded. <laughs> at which point I had to agree with it. Well, I was way back there. I, I've got to pause something, but it was a great, it was like, I want it. And then I was just like, is it it's an maybe it's an English thing? I don't know. Can we do a sort of freak FAQ? I mean, it would be really interesting to, to cover all the age groups as well. It'd be really I think, I think it's a really interesting and idea. I mean, Nigel, you know my daughter Pixie. You've met Pixie. She did a she was an intern for True this summer, and she did a survey of all her sorority sisters. You know, who do you talk to about sex? You know, what what tools do you have to talk about sex? What are your resources? What are your questions? It was really amazing. And we did a um you know, a communication with them. And, you know, all our sorority sisters, they text me all the time with all these questions. And, you know, I love being their resource. But it was really interesting to hear their comments of, we really wish we had someone we could talk to about sex. Like, we wish we had Dr. Diana as, you know, the person on the other end of the cell phone. Like, why don't we have that? So anyways, you know, to your point, much more has to happen at a younger age. Before we let you go, Doc, we have a game we play on on Shaken and Stirred called Last Orders, um, okay. and I would love love to have a little uh, wrap up before we go. Are you are you ready? Is that something you're comfortable with? I'm ready. Fantastic. Okay. First off, what is your definition of amazing sex? So I have to do this fast. Well, not necessarily, but or is that your answer? <laughs> I thought that was your answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not that clever. Um, I think amazing sex. I think about Sting and Trudy, you know, how they talk about this tantric sex. So I think when a couple is really into each other and they're able to have a couple orgasms and they're, they're really connected, that to me sounds like amazing sex. Okay, that, that's a perfectly good answer. But I, the, the thought of you know Sting and Trudy, I think, has stuck with me since I was a small child, and and um, <laughs> and, and actually is one of those things which slightly terrifies me. And it goes <laughs> well with our yeah. next question. Um, it's fun to do, but you hate knowing your parents do it. What is it? Sex. I guess it could be sex. It could be a lot of other things, though. I think there is another answer to that. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a big one. Donald Trump has a small one, and Madonna doesn't have one at all. What is it? Well, the obvious answer, a male appendage. Actually, I think we were looking for last name, but, um, oh. but, but I like the way your, where your mind is. I like the way you're thinking here. You know, I, I get it. I, I can <laughs> a see- last name. Going, you know, Madonna, just Madonna, Schwarzenegger. I'm glad you're, you know, that wasn't see, something I else. See, I guess I'm not clever man. for this game. We'll have to think of uh, some more questions here. And the simplest one of all, 
shaken or stirred? Shaken. You are a shaker and a mover. <laughs> Dr. Diana Bittner, <laughs> co-founder, chief medical officer of True Women's Health. Where can we get your cards? Where can people buy these cards? So if they come to the website, truewomenshealth.com, and also, you know, for the guys listening, if you want your female partner to take a quiz about where she is in menopause, she can check out our website. But I'm very proud of the website. The sex deck is there, the symptom circle, lots of great information. So thank you so much for bringing this topic to the public in a greater way. Thank you. Our pleasure. And thank you very much for coming on and educating both Tom and I, in fact. And, you know, of course, mostly Tom's questions, but uh, yeah, that's all good. I will never <laughs> reveal that to the public. Do it again. I've got more. Well, lovely to meet you, Tom. All the best. See you again. See you. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.